0: We'll be in Acts chapter 4. For the record, I don't know what's more challenging uh, to preach through only four verses or to preach through like, what, 11 to 15 you did last week, which is actually really difficult to do with so much content. Um, so we'll be in Acts 4 verses 1 through 4 today. I also want to say that the older I get, the more of an honor it is to preach at this church. I'm always humbled and grateful. There's also an element of intimidation as I... Stand before my former teachers and mentors, uh, whom I grew up with. I love this people, truly. It's, it's a truly beloved congregation. There's something special about this people. It's, it's also the healthiest church that I've ever been a part of. Of course, let's not forget that one time we had trivia night and <laughs> all the Bible trivia we missed and how embarrassed we were. I'm joking. There are, there are men and women here that know the scriptures far better than I do or ever will. And I'm also especially excited to preach here today because I don't have to fear about getting fired (laughs) since (laughs) I'm not actually hired. (laughs) So, (laughs) Amen, that's right. So Acts chapter 4, as we embark upon this sermon, I'm inclined to recall or make us aware of the context that the present-day church finds herself in the world today. In 2019, a man by the name of David Lynn takes her microphone to the streets of Canada and preaches the gospel. That Jesus Christ died for the sins of the people and rose from the dead in victory. And all who put their faith in him will be saved. This is his message. He's an evangelist. Him and his group travel from city to city in Canada and proclaim the gospel. On a specific day, a crowd gathered and became increasingly spiteful and physical. In June of 2019, he was arrested on the streets of Toronto for causing a disturbance. In 2020, in the middle of the pandemic, Canada was under strict lockdown. A pastor, different guy, in Edmonton, Canada refused to close the doors of his church under the conviction from Scripture that God calls his people to gather together in person for corporate worship. He was arrested on church property and jailed for 35 days. You might be thinking, yeah, but, you know, that's Canada. Their government welcomes tyranny and socialism. I wish I was joking. August 2023, just recently. Marcus Schroeder, a 19-year-old Christian and member of a Reformed Protestant church, was arrested for reading scripture and preaching the gospel at a drag queen story hour event and dance in Watertown, Wisconsin. It was once said of this U.S. nation that it was Christian, that the common citizen was Christian, or a member of a local church or at least had some sense of a biblical worldview, perhaps at the very least a moral framework based on Christian principles. No longer is this the case. We live in a pluralistic society. The tolerance of all beliefs, except exclusive ones, like Christ being the only way of salvation. Brothers and sisters, now is not the time to sit by idly, And watch the church be swept away by the whims of the culture and the pagan religious false teachings of our era. Enough of this silly nonsense welcoming sexual sins and others like it and trying to be oversensitive to it. Call sin what it is get rid of it. It has no place in the church. And much less to be welcomed among evangelical leaders. You have heard it said that when you begin to see the sins of Romans chapter 1, becoming a reality, then judgment's coming. I'm telling you that when you see the sins of Romans 1, judgment is already here. Now is not the time to tuck your tail and run. Now is the time to speak. Speak the truth of God's word and speak the power of the gospel in love. Let's read Acts 4. I'm going to read all the way through verse 12, but only preach through verse 4. By what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead by him, this man is standing before you. Well, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word that became flesh and dwelt among us. Lord, we want to behold you today. Help us as we go through your word in this text. Help us to understand you more clearly and to see you. Lord, we ask these things in your most powerful name. Amen. The chapter 4 is a sort of milestone for the newly established church. What would become the norm for the life of the church in future history through today. Here in chapter 4 marks the first occurrence of persecution on the new church. The apostles Peter and John are arrested for doing a good deed in the name of Jesus and proclaiming the resurrection. Look at verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. As you recall from last week, Peter and John were preaching to the Jewish people after they had healed a man on the way to the temple, on temple grounds. And I might add, it was a sermon of no little power and conviction. It was in the name of Jesus that they healed and preached. They proclaimed Christ as the Messiah, one with God, the author of life. And they pointed out how the Jews delivered this Messiah to death. They proclaimed his resurrection from the dead, and they called the Jews to repentance. This is a full gospel presentation. Let me also remind you that these were uneducated, untrained Galileans, and they spoke with power and authority, recalling the Old Testament prophecies which Christ fulfilled. In the name of Jesus, they called all who listened, regardless of social status, to repent and turn to Jesus or be destroyed. You can look back at at chapter 3 and see. To say the least, this did not sit well with everyone, especially those devout Jews. Keep in mind, this is also not just two crazy guys on the street corner with a microphone and nobody listening. There were hundreds or thousands of people around them listening to this convicting message. And this is inside temple grounds. Naturally, this causes a, a scene of some sort. So the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. They seized Peter and John in order to detain them. Remember, of course, the priests are the ones that conducted and officiated all temple sacrifices. The temple guard was evidently the head of the temple police. The leaders at this time, the officiates and society at large, being under Roman rule, demanded order. So there was temple police and the temple guard was the head. Some scholars point out that it is possible that this is a Roman guard keeping order in the temple. The Sadducees were a minority religious group that ran temple operations. The priests worked under their leadership. If you recall, the Sadducees are the ones that didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead. They believed that only the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, were inspired. And the rest of the Old Testament was just commentary on the Pentateuch. Since there was nothing explicitly about the resurrection in the Pentateuch, they didn't believe in it. Let's look at verse 2. Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Greatly annoyed is a kind and gentle translation for the agitation of these temple leaders. In Greek, it more accurately means distressed. They were distressed by this preaching, likely very angry. You see, the author of Acts is specific here on why they were distressed, because they were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Already there are several thousand Christians, which is a threat to these temple leaders. Now the apostles are preaching in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, which goes contrary to the Sadducees doctrine. As Albert Barnes notes, it interferes with their authority. Multitudes believed that he had risen, and if he had raised up, it followed also that others would rise. The Sadducees therefore felt that their cause was in danger, and they joined with the priest in endeavoring to arrest its spread among the people. So, look at verse 3. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. It's just like those that are opposed to the gospel message to try to put it to a halt. Thousands of people listening to and adopting this gospel message poses a threat to the aristocracy. MacArthur points out that by believing this message, they are condemning the Jewish leaders that executed Jesus. And all this is happening in their temple. I want you to understand this is what is happening to the church today. And like the apostles in Acts 4, we have only seen the beginning. We have the message of the gospel, the power of God to everyone who believes for salvation. The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. An exclusive claim for salvation that offers eternal life and legitimate transformation of a man's soul. A message that calls man to live by a particular standard. A message that provides true life and freedom in Christ. By the proclamation of it and the application of Christ's claims in a world full of satanic doctrines that hate God and hate his people, we pose a threat to this present aristocracy. And what do we do? We do what the apostles did. We lovingly and boldly speak the claims of Christ in every sphere of life. What are we so afraid of? A little bit of social outcasting? The silent treatment from your coworkers, being fired from your job, getting arrested. These things are small in comparison to the eternal glory that we will get. They're small in comparison to real persecution. We have the threat of losing our job or even being arrested, but do you know what persecutions came later for the church? stonings, scourgings, being impaled. Being boiled alive. Physical disembodiment, instruments used to rip the body apart. Less than a few decades after Acts chapter 4, Nero was emperor. That dude was crazy. He persecuted the church probably worse than anyone in history. Punishments included weird stuff like being sewn to animal skins and fed to hungry dogs. Being drenched in wax and lit as torches in his garden for parties. There may come a time in the next several decades where we experience first century persecutions. These types of persecutions. But I heard a preacher once say that when we start to experience first century persecutions, we will start to experience first century power. Works of the Holy Spirit. We have nothing to fear if we are in Christ. I quoted this in Sunday school some weeks ago. But Athanasius, ancient theologian, once said... It is Athanasius against the world, and the world is against Athanasius. Joel Webin says this of Athanasius. With his case, as it is with ours, it still was not a fair fight. Because Athanasius plus God is superior, infinitely so, to the entire world. Better to be you and Jesus against the whole world than to unite with the whole world against the triune God and the truth of his word. Let God be true and every man a liar. His word does not change based off what time it is, based off what generation it is, based off culture. God's word is eternal, immutable, and inerrant. He has set up patterns for living in this world. They are good, and we shall not be embarrassed by them. Pastor Joel says, and someone always has to be first. They don't kill the prophets because they're right, because later the rightness of the prophet's message is received by the majority of the people as a whole, and as a whole they're blessed by it. The initial prophet is killed not for being right, but for being first. But nothing changes in this world if someone is not willing to be first. Don't abandon the bride of Christ when the going gets tough. And don't jump on the bandwagon of Christianity after the groundwork has already been paved and act as though you've been committed the entire time. Now is the time to proclaim the gospel, to commit to Christ, to be ready in season and out of season. If you have not begun to proclaim Christ in every sphere of life, now is the time to start. When our public schools, universities, and government entities Deny what is foundational to the human race, that God created heaven and earth, male and female, he created them. We are already in an uphill battle. To deny God's created order is to deny the gospel. Proclaim the truth of Genesis chapter 1 even when the whole world says something different. Even when the entire corporation you work for has woke and LGBTQ policies and every coworker goes right along with it, proclaim the truth of God's word if it costs you everything. A follower of Christ will love and adore Christ and preach his gospel regardless of who loves him and who hates him. It is said of the Christian that he might gain the whole world and still feel empty. And he might lose the whole world and be affected not. Why? Because he has the greatest treasure of all. Communion with the son of God. Jesus. Jesus is enough. We may be walking through the most difficult season of our lives. But experience greater and greater peace. Because we are satisfied in Christ. We don't need the pleasures and acceptance of this world to feel happy. We need Christ. The word of life. Jesus says that he will be with us, even to the end of the age. We have the power of the Almighty God on our side. The God who causes the lightning to strike. The God who makes the sun rise in the morning. Who created the entire universe just by speaking. We have the power of the Holy Spirit alive and active in us. So don't give me that excuse about not knowing what to say, or the timing wasn't right to tell that person about Christ. Depend on the Holy Spirit to give you the words and then speak. This is what the apostles did. They weren't seeking their own glory. They weren't concerned with embarrassing themselves because they were uneducated Galileans. They relied on the power of the Holy Spirit and preached Christ and were arrested for it. But what happened? Look at verse 4. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Many of those who had heard believed. There's something I want you to notice about this verse. It says, those who had heard the word believed. Let me bring to mind Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. It reads this, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Why is this significant? Who are the Galatians? Where was Galatia? Paul wrote this letter, Galatians, to the church that he most likely planted in Galatia. Galatia was located in present-day central Turkey, a good distance from Jerusalem. There were a great many Jews there, but it was populated by and large by Gentiles, with a heathen background. Barnes says that their religion was of a gross and debasing kind. Paul plants a church there and writes a rebuking letter because they had been deceived by false teachings. They have gone after another gospel. Why is it significant that he tells the Galatians, right there in verse 3, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? Because they were not there. They were not present the day that Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem. Most likely the first time they heard the gospel was when Paul preached it to them. Which means that Paul's preaching was so powerful and so vivid, it was as if the Galatians witnessed the crucifixion with their own eyes. This is what it looks like to proclaim the gospel in the power of God, in the power of the Holy Spirit. An old dear friend of mine pointed this out to me. His name is John Calvin. He was writing in a time where the Roman Catholic Church basically idolized their crosses and images in their church buildings. He brings up Galatians chapter 3 verse 1 writing, Paul declares that by the true preaching of the gospel, Christ is portrayed and in a manner crucified before our eyes. Of what use then were the erection in churches of so many crosses of wood and stone, silver and gold, if this doctrine were faithfully and honestly preached, Christ died that he might bear our curse upon the tree, that he might expiate or atone for our sins by the sacrifice of his body, wash them in his blood, and in short, reconcile us to God the Father. From this one doctrine, the people would learn more than from a thousand crosses of wood and silver. Now of course, the healing of the layman in chapter three and every other miracle brought glory To the Lord. It had immeasurable purpose. I'm not denying the purpose of those. And the divine power seen therein. They are in a sense proofs. Witnesses. Of resurrection power. Holy Spirit power. But what do you need for salvation? The word that became flesh. The one. Who though he was in the form of God. Did not count equality with God. A thing to be grasped. But emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. All that the apostles really had was Jesus, the word. The power of the word that became flesh, the power of the Holy Spirit that had just been poured out onto them as the newly established church, the power of the one true God. We today must stop depending on our flesh. Stop coming up with silly little excuses that deny our Savior. We must preach the gospel with confidence that this message will transform lives because it is the power of God unto salvation. The Holy Spirit is active when the name of Jesus is rightly proclaimed. If we proceed with the true and full preaching of the gospel, we will be more richly arrayed in maturity and love for Christ. We may actually have converted church members. I'm so sick of churches trying to appease the masses, setting up this program, having this guest speaker to try and entice people to come to their buildings. While we lived in Nashville, Nashville, Tennessee, there was a church in our area. It was a Protestant church, not a Baptist church. i am just point that out. It was a Protestant church that was notorious for their quippy church signs. Y'all love them. A different slogan almost every week. One day we pulled up next to it and the sign says, Welcome, special guest, Imam Osama balao Evidently they had invited an imam, which is a Muslim prayer leader, to speak at their church. A month or two goes by and the sign reads something like, Don't stop believing. Welcome, Jonathan Cain. They had invited the guitarist from the band Journey. My friends... The gospel is attractive. We don't need to entice unbelievers with silly little gimmicks. Salvation in Christ and Christ alone is all that we need. If we begin to mine for treasures in the word of God and truly seek Jesus reading your Bible, we'll have regenerate, healthy, mature church members. I think we've begun to see that here. We say this is a healthy church. I think that it is. But are you personally, as a member, taking the responsibility to commit to this church and to commit to knowing Christ and making Christ known? Perhaps if all churches, all church members did this, then churches wouldn't feel compelled to resort to silly gimmicks. Too often churches and church members are so worried about being accepted or not being offensive that they compromise the gospel. And in all reality, deny our Savior, Jesus. There will be persecution for following Jesus. But let me ask you this. Would you rather be, benign, be denied by every perishable man or by the one true God? Persecution brings growth. What does the second part of verse 4 say? It says, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. You've heard the age-old saying, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. This is true. The oppressors of the gospel message attempt to shut it down, but what happens? Inevitably, this causes the message to spread even more. It is certainly no small work of God for a dead man to come back to life. For a dead man like you and I, who are dead in our sins, That God has made come back to life. In Acts, we are seeing thousands coming to faith as a result of hearing the gospel. Not only is this clearly a divine act of God, but it also proves the gospel and the power of Christ even more. That in no time at all, thousands would be added to the faith. The number of men, it says, came to about 5,000. That's not including their wives and their children and family members if they had any. To es- Some estimate that the total number of Christians at this time would, would have been in excess of 10,000. Who can bind the word? Paul says in Second Timothy, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. He says, but the word of God is not bound. He was in chains. He was imprisoned. But the word of the Lord went on. Do not become easily discouraged. For while the world tears us down, tries to stop us to put a halt to the gospel, while we may be in chains, as Paul was, or our bodies fail us, the word of God endures. Let me read this encouraging passage from 2 Corinthians. You can flip there if you would like. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 7, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Verse 15, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of the Lord. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Our bodies are being broken down. If not by persecution like Paul, then by sickness or old age. But we do not lose heart. All this has purpose in Christ. We go through these trials so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into his presence. There is no greater place than to be in the presence of God, to behold the Christ, his splendor and majesty. Paul calls, Paul calls his affliction light. He says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. By way of obedience... Truly being a follower of Christ, the sufferings and persecutions that we experience as a result of being a Christian in a world that hates God prepares us, prepares for us eternal glory in Christ. Living the Christian life is difficult. Life in general is difficult. But remember that all of this points to Christ, the finished work of Christ on the cross the one who brings eternal redemption to his children. We have seen in this text quite clearly that there is power in the word of God. He says, "Many heard the word and believed." That while the world will hate us for claiming the name of Jesus and sticking to the authoritative word of God and proclaiming His death and resurrection, His word will prevail. Listen to this quote from Augustine on these matters. Written in the 400s A.D., he writes, To what do these miracles witness? But to this faith which preaches Christ risen in the flesh and ascended with the same into heaven. For the martyrs themselves were martyrs, that is to say, witnesses of this faith, drawing upon themselves by their testimony the hatred of the world and conquering the world not by resisting it, but by dying. Brothers and sisters, we have this message, the treasure, the gospel, in jars of clay. Our bodies will fail us, but the word of the Lord prevails, and the word of the Lord will last. Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose in victory over sin and death. And there is true life and true forgiveness in him. So the call is to repent and turn to Christ where there is true salvation and to go to a world that is dying, preach the gospel and see it come back to life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us of our sins. We are but piles of dust that perish, but your word, Lord, lasts forever. Help us, Lord, to live in light of these truths, the truth of your word. Let your gospel go forward and your name be proclaimed, even when it's difficult and even when our bodies fail us. Help us to put our faith and trust in you and to go with the gospel. In your name, amen.